terrorist. And increase our wages. Welcome back to Naharan America. Our next guest has been on the Golden Globes nominated show Weeds, the primetime Emmy nominated show Workaholics, the Amazon Prime hit Emmy nominated series Bosch. Born and raised in Mexico City, he's an amazing actor and an amazing producer. Ladies and gentlemen, Jaime Americ. Jaime. Hey, how are you, Rick? <laughs> oh, so great to hear from you. Welcome to Naharan America. You're on the show and we're recording. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Fantastic. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I mean, all the work you've done, come on. I mean, you're doing so much stuff. I mean, you do voiceovers. You're a telenovela star. You're crossing the American market. You're working with Meryl Streep. You've done everything. I mean, has this been your dream from the beginning? Well, it's been a fun journey for sure. Mm-hmm. I I started uh, in Mexico a while ago. I'm from Mexico City. Yes. And then I just took on there doing theater, and then I moved to TV and film. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been always a pleasure to be able to entertain. And that's what I love this so much. I, I can entertain people, and I love doing that. Well, I, I can tell. I see your work, and you're at the Dramatic Arts Center in Mexico City. You did you did you did plays like El Tintero and, and Quiero Vivir and everything else. It's like, but you did a lot in comedy, which is so good to see. I mean, comedy is, is the... <laughs> that was fun. I love laughing, you know, and I love uh, making people laugh. I mm-hmm. think we are in difficult times where we need to laugh a little more. Yeah. And uh, that's why I do it, because uh, I see the world and I see sometimes politics and the COVID and, mm-hmm. and all what is happening. And then I wonder how to bring a little comfort to people. Yeah. So that's why I love creating more uh, good stuff for everyone. Well, and, and I started at, at an early stage doing comedy in Mexico where I was doing stand-up for some years down there mm-hmm. in Spanish. And then... And then he was brilliant because he was totally learning. The same like you, Rick. I mean, you're a master in this because I love Latino logs and I love all your shows. Oh, thank you. And I see you come from very much the same school, which is a work ethic that can't be beat. I mean, you're always working. I mean, you you just have a, a film right now on Netflix that that uh, that you brought out of Brazil. Um, how'd that come about? Oh yeah, it's it's uh, I. It's funny because all this journey pays off after being persistent. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key of you, of Eugenio, of different people, because if I'm pretty sure and, and uh, I know that you have to be persistent in this career because sometimes opportunities will not come your way or they are not there and you have to create them and then you have to persist. And then that's, that's Eugenio, that's you. And that's, yeah pretty much all the people that I know that are successful is not just like a normal walk in the park. It's like actually persisting and being the best and being a professional and being competent. And that's okay. And that's you. And that's, I've been lucky to, 
to to do that, you know, and to have that. Oh. And um, and yes, that show that I brought from Brazil, I I took it to the the agent of Kenny Ortega mm-hmm. asked me to to bring some shows for him, and with my previous company, um, we we brought a show to Kenny, and then that show was uh, somehow like a musical. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was called Julian the Phantoms in Brazil yeah. from a company named Mixer. Mm-hmm. And then we got the rights of that show and then we took it to Kenny and then we took it to Netflix and boom, that, that was, that's how it happened. We did attach some writers mm-hmm. before taking it to Kenny uh, through our agent. And then it, it's on the air. It's been successful right now in Netflix for the general market in mm-hmm. English. And it was it was fantastic. I I love bringing projects that matter or, or that can make people like better and that has a message. And and you know that's I I opened a new company now mm-hmm. with my new partners, which is my wife Carolina Imerich, mm-hmm. and it's uh, Monica Hill, which is the CEO of the company. She's a great producer and she's a she's a great executive and then we have also nancy carwright which is also part of the company she did the the voice of bart simpson and she's been doing that for the last 30 i think 30 years or so Mm -hmm. very very successful woman and um, so i'm very very happy because all my team members are so um so great to work with yeah uh, they are creative, they are amazing, they are nice, they are great friends, so they are people that you want to work with. And that's, that's like a walk in the park for me because um, we're bringing shows from all over the world and we're making um, different shows in different places and different networks and different... And, and I, I, it's like the show that we brought from Brazil, we have, we have shows from all over the world. And I remember you and me, we were together kind of like you are the pioneer on this with me. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> I'm talking 1996. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we, we did a, a uh, show for Televisa. Yeah, we, I mean, people, people go and they think like, oh, you know, the office is coming from England and Ben Silverman. And, but they have, they don't know what Rick, <laughs> Rick yeah. Nasser and Hyde Manmerick did in 96. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, so, I, I came to Televisa, it was like, I felt like I was Cortez coming to Tinochtitlan. It was like this huge, huge studio and, and, you know, to see, it's like, it was like Hollywood in the 40s. I, I mean, we, we, I especially admire you and I appreciate all your talent and all your work. And, uh, and, and we want to be working with people like you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I, w- I want to be working with you yeah. guys. And uh, I, a lot of times in Hollywood, I'd go again, I'd talk to executives and producers and they'd say, well, I'm laughing in the scene, but then the next scene I'm crying and then I'm feeling this way. And it's like, there's so many emotions. What is this? And it's like, that's life. That's what life is. Yeah. You go from the profane to the profound in short times. You, you don't know where a character is going to live so well and speak to you. You know, what we do is we love humanity. I just go, if you know us, you would have to love us. That's the thing about our people. Yes. If you know our people, you got to yes, love exactly. us. Yes, exactly. And I think we're going to be representing our culture very well because we are that. Mm-hmm. So we are gonna, 
we're definitely on that road, my friend. You know, seeing what you're doing gives me a lot of hope. And I think create for you is going to be one of those companies that is going to pave the way. I think Latinos, we, we have great things to offer to the world. You know, mm-hmm. we are great workers. We are great, loving, caring families and caring people. Yeah. And we have a lot to offer, you know. Having the hair in America is one of the nicest things has been that the people have actually come on and said, hey, I worked with you in this time. I, I worked with you back there. I'm seeing our connections. We're connecting each other. And that's what the world needs. We don't need borders. We, I think we need you're absolutely right. Right now, the, the world needs more union than ever. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to we need to do like we need to keep united because if we keep getting separated, then that's not going to work. We, yeah. need, we need to be united. Well, I think what it is, is we're, we're coming up with solutions and that solution is united. That solution is we're better together than apart. And if what I've seen of your work, for even going back to Acapulco Bay and, and seeing that and knowing you come from comedy and Eugenio Devez and all the people that we know together, I think it's going to be a very good future. And it's going to be a future that's inclusive. It's going to include others. And it's going to be loving and it's going to be funny and it's going to be good. So, Jaime, thank you so much for coming on the Hair in America. Um, Thank you, Rick. It's always a pleasure talking to you, my friend. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks so much. Good luck to you. Ladies and gentlemen, Jaime Americ. You're listening to the Nahara in America podcast. The podcast that isn't afraid to tell it like it is to people who aren't afraid to hear like it is. You can listen to us on Revolver Podcasts or wherever you find your finer podcasts. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Naharan America. We have a very special segment. We're going to interview the cast of a film that I just recently saw. It's a short film, but really brilliant on the politics of America today. It's called Estilo Americano. Antonio Jaramillo, Lydia Porto, and of course, the writer-director, Miriam Kissick. Coming at you on Nahara in America. Oh, we have uh, Antonio Jaramillo, Lydia Porto, and Miriam Kreishope. I, I did that with a Dutch accent, just to <laughs> let everyone know. Great! How was that? Rick, you're putting on a weird accent. It's Kreishop. <laughs> Does that sound normal? It's like. Kreishop. Medium Kreishop. However you want to yeah, say it. Yeah, change her name to Martinez. Miriam Martinez. Hey, Miriam Martinez. You, it would make <laughs> yeah, your life so much easier. It would just be so simple. You'd get a whole I set know, of new prejudices. Well, okay. So let's. Listen, there's only five people with my last name. So it's wow. just a good thing. It's just. What? Impossible to pronounce. Okay, Antonio, I'm going to ask you a question. You did this film. Uh, when you read the script, what was your feelings? When I read the script, I immediately wanted to be a part of this because uh, personally, I'm, I'm political. I know mm-hmm. sometimes artists don't like to speak of their political opinions, but I, I, I don't separate myself as an artist and uh, in, in the person I am. I think is the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the work that I choose has to do with the person that I am and the beliefs that I have and the opinions that I have. And so when I read it, 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 the political, you know, uh, you know, uh, things resonated with me because of the political reality that we're living right now, which is uh, pretty uh, disgusting. Mm-hmm. And, and I also like, like the dynamics of the family, you know, the, all the backstories of the characters within the film were very interesting. You know, a, a first-generation Mexican-American family uh, with five kids, and each one has a different profession and a different 
I guess, political uh, opinion and and, and, and social and it was interesting to me. I just said, this is pretty cool. We all live on this planet and we need to move forward together. So my urge was, I want to document, you know, a period of time that I'm witnessing. I have an inside, I'm American too, but I still have an outsider perspective. And I think it allows me to be objective to, to a certain extent and really get my my goal and my messaging in mind, as in one of my really best friends who I love dearly. And him and I went through a lot together, very influential in my life, like, you know, Mexican-American guy from Los Angeles. And, you know, when they hear this, he knows who I'm talking about. But, you know, he is on the other side. He's not blue, right? And I understand why he's on the other side, but we currently don't speak anymore. And it breaks my heart. And I hope when he sees this film that he'll... he'll change his way. Like, Lydia, you have conversations with your relatives, and, you know, if you can change someone's mind just to say, like, what's happening, or you may be uh, religious in your beliefs, and therefore you feel like you have to support the Republican Party. But what they stand for now, what's happening now, the representative of this country now, this is not right. And let's just take people for who they are. We all want the same. We are all the same. And we need to move forward together. And I'm proud to help my neighbor. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't want to put a wall there. I want to help them. And I hope they want to help me. Well, that's great because Wall's Wall's really doing work. I call him the biggest socialist in America, actually, because, you know, um, he lives off the government and taxpayers' money completely. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you can lash out to socialists. I think there's a very big misconception what socialism actually means. Uh, But if any, he's one because he doesn't pay for anything himself. And I think it's interesting that you bring up that word, Miriam, because... You know, in Colombia, we ended up fighting um, a civil war for close to 50 years over socialism versus capitalism. And over the Mm -hmm. years, that pressure did um, guide or force our government to provide better benefits for people. In Colombia now, there is universal health care. There is a, a, a retirement plan for domestic workers and other occasional workers there. And, and that pressure, but at the same time, it came at a very high cost. So my mm-hmm. family being from Colombia, they, they have a very negative reaction to, sometimes towards socialism because of what we live through there. They think they associate it with terrorism to a or, certain extent. Or communism. But that's not what we're living through here. And sometimes it's no. that misunderstanding that guides them to be afraid of the Democrats because they're talking about universal health care and protesting in the streets and all of a sudden it goes to oh my god this yeah. is going to be dangerous this is going to be violent so they just don't understand it yeah they they don't understand it it's but for- you know the american government has taken 50 years to mm-hmm. make the word socialism too close to communism and give it give it very bad marketing right if you look at western europe i agree them and you look mm-hmm. at countries that are considered you know, where people are the happiest. First of all, we have to put people first, money second, right? That That's, mm-hmm. you know, if we can all agree on that, we can all move forward. Oh, but you, socialist. you look at countries that yes. are, you know, the happiest, it means you have a very big middle class. Mm-hmm. Yes, you pay a lot of taxes, but you get a lot of re- in return. And all these societies, right, that are in that top 10 list are all social democratic societies, meaning socialistic uh, laws like healthcare, like free education or affordable education, social mm-hmm. safety nets, etc. Um, they're all part of 
part of those those societies. But, and I think it's not a dirty word, it's a great word. Well, it means you're being social, you care about others. I mean, what is the greatest commandment? Love one another and love God with all your heart. And this conversation we're having, you will see this conversation more in the movie. And I think what you guys are doing is great. We live in a country of immigrants, right? Mm-hmm. We have Christian people, we have Jewish, we have Muslim, mm-hmm. we have Hindu. The rhetoric coming from our government only focuses on Christianity. Not actually, you know, pure non-Christianity and ignores all the other religions in this massive country of immigrants. And I think there's the most different practice religion in this country out of any other country on the planet, right? Mm-hmm. Which is another thing. Like, that's what I mean. This this government is only selectively focusing on one group of people and everyone else is not a patriot or American. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That is that's something that reflects how thin the wall between religion and government, state and church, has become, which is something that mm-hmm. I think you're right about that. We're supposed to be a country where everyone is allowed to practice the religion that they believe sincerely in their heart and to practice mm-hmm. their sincerely beliefs. And if we create an atmosphere where it's frightening <laughs> to be anything but not even Christian, but just one specific type of Christian, I think we are betraying mm-hmm. the spirit of what the founding fathers wrote. Well, I, th- I think you're right. Yeah, said, well said, Lydia. Yeah, well said. I mean, what we need is really, from my answer to that question, is more voter involvement. Less, you know, voter gerrymandering mm-hmm. is keeping people from voting. Everyone should vote. That would change everything that, that <laughs> legally can. And we make a lot of ways where people can't vote, and we have a lot of money in politics. We have a lot of problems, and these are the issues in this movie you guys talk about, and that's why I urge everyone to go see Estilo Americano and keep checking out and supporting this film. Is there anywhere they can see the film online? Yeah, so it's playing, yeah, so it's uh, at the La Femme Film Festival, Saturday morning, um, mm-hmm. and then there is the proper premiere with Los Cortos on Monday, um, and then you can see the film for a week on the Los Cortos platform, which is a, a non-profit platform that supports Latino filmmakers, voices, stories, etc. So we're very, very proud to be uh, working with them. Well, I just get, um, what I appreciate having you guys on there in America. And what's great is these are the conversations that we need to have, we're going to have. And this is the also aspect of how we heal each other. It's so important. And, and I think that healing is through conversation. And uh, what you've done with your film, I applaud it, that it is the start of the conversation. And people can take it home and, and keep talking about what we need to do because we're, we're only going to get out of this together, not apart. Thank you all for coming on Nahara in America. I'm Rick Nahara, and I'm talking to the cast of Estilo Americano. Uh, much success, guys. Much success. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you to your... Thank, thank you, Rick. We love what you do. Oh, thank, thank you, guys. Thanks. Yeah, thank, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Lydia, big fan. Uh, Antonio, he, uh, another fan. And, and Miriam, getting to know your work and, and loving it. Uh, con- congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Thank you so much. But thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank, thank you, you so Rick. much, Rick. And, and thank you, Rick, that we could be so open and that you really encourage it and that you really, I know you really responded to the film, so that means the world yeah. to all of us. You're listening to the Nahara in America podcast, the podcast that isn't afraid to tell it like it is to people who aren't afraid to hear like it is. You can listen to us on Revolver Podcasts or wherever you find your finer podcasts. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
We're back with Inherent America. Our next guest is an amazing producer. You've seen his work on Moulin Rouge from the TV series From Beyond. He's a hell of a producer and a good friend, Herman Michael Torres. Welcome to the show. Sounds like a sounds like a great producer. I want to meet him. Well, yeah, I always think the same you, thing when they they talk about you do so well. Well, <laughs> you, I I should take you everywhere. I, well, it, you it, need it a herald. Me. You need a herald to walk in front of you. Ladies and gentlemen, the great producer, Herman Torres. You know, you, you, you really need that to kind of push those things and, and mm-hmm. have people hear us. But, I mean, one of the things, you know, today we're t- we're t- talk, we talk about producers and Hollywood and that kind of world. And what I, what I like about you is you're, you're, you're down to earth. You know, you're, you're, a lot of times when we talk together is it won't even necessarily be about Hollywood. It'll just be about life and, right. you know, all the different things going on. It, did you expect to do what you're doing now? Um, yes, but not in the exact way. Uh, I always knew I was a storyteller and I know it sounds cheesy, but I really, really, as a kid would tell stories, mm-hmm. um, even write a couple of stories down and I would staple the paper. I'm sure a lot of us have done that. Yeah. Just kind of make a little book thing. Oh yeah. I, would, um, but, I would did that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure a lot of us had, you know, did that. So I thought I was a writer, um, until, I realized that writing is very hard and, and I really respect that craft, um, which is one of the reasons why I became a manager of writers. But mm-hmm. I, uh, at that point, it was like 18, 19, I actually shifted when I worked with Denise DeNovi over at Columbia Pictures. I was very young. And I, and I said, I want to do that because she's a storyteller. Mm-hmm. She did Ed Wood. She used to be Tim Burton's partner. Yeah. I go, I felt like that, that is exactly what I want to do, like a creative producer. So I kind of threw the idea of being a writer and just said, I, I'm, I'm going to be a creative producer and a, I'm going to be a storyteller. Yeah. And this is the best way I can do it. You've been a pioneer. I mean, I mean, I mean, going back to Moulin Rouge, that was way ahead of its time. Well, yeah, I mean, well, to be fair, I packaged that. I was, I was a little kid and I didn't know what I was doing. I say little kids so people don't date me my mm-hmm. age, but... Yeah, I, I was on a team over at ICM, and I, I, I literally read the script. Just, just talk about vision. I read the script the first time because we, I was responsible for the writer, um, Craig Curse, who's who I love, and and one mm-hmm. day want to talk to him again. Yeah, I, I, I didn't really understand. We, we had a couple of scripts that we were going to uh, move forward that that both of, that Baz Luhrmann and Craig Pierce had. Um, and they and they had a deal at Fox, so it was kind of easy for us to 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 champion one of them. But but Moulin Rouge, I didn't understand it the first time. I have to be honest. I, I read it and, mm-hmm. and I was just kind of like, ah. Um, and but you know you have to kind of open yourself up. And and obviously Bass has a clear vision. Craig has a clear vision of what they wanted to do. Um, and I I literally it took a moment where I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. It was kind of like understanding who I was at the time and how to read scripts and how to have a little bit of, you know, vision and not be so, I just want to make it as a producer attitude, which a lot of times you kind of develop as a young person. But, you know, that script and that movie not only just helped my career, but it changed my way and taught me be open, you know, have a little vision for once in your life. Well, that's- Take risks. 
That's you know? yeah, and, and that's you know everyone in Hollywood wants to be second. No one wants to be first because we're we're risk aversive. Yeah. And the, the greatest people tend to guys like Desi Arnaz. You know, he took a risk. He put his own money into yeah. those shows. Uh, it's always taking a risk. Our business, it is a risk because sometimes we have to pull things out of the air. And yeah. sometimes the risk comes from. I'm sorry, just real quickly, no. just to kind of go back and you know, I I produced the first U.S. Latino paranormal show. Yeah. You know, Ghost Hunters was was out. It was doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. I saw all the new ghost shows that were coming out, like Ghost Adventures, which I like. And there wasn't one necessarily. There wasn't any about Latinos and like, you know, our, our community. Oh. We have a unique relationship with the afterlife and ghosts and brujas and all that. And we, you know, we have a very unique relationship with that. I go, how come there's no like ghost show with Latinos, man? Like my neighbor's haunted, not some castle in Europe, which I'll never go to probably. Yeah, it was a scary notion to come up with the idea and then go to a, a studio or a network and pitch it. But I said, "Let's do it." Yeah, there was there was put a it, I, no what I you put did it together, and I I stood in front of like thirteen execs. They were doing some weird thing over at NBC Universal, where it was like you know Fresh Voices or something. I can't remember what it was, but I'm like sitting there, and it was my turn, and I just pitched the hell out of the show. And there's like, oh yeah, there is an Elko show. And it worked, and it was on 13 episodes, Sci-Fi Channel, we played it, and it's now repurposed on a new platform called Canela TV. Hopefully it'll come out soon, but mm-hmm. this, show's, this show's like, you know, it was everywhere. Well, you're, you're so, able to take your cultural take, which is, you know, listen, we have ghosts in our community. I mean, La Llorona, the, there's so many ghost stories that we've got. And I even me yeah. growing up, there was a guy named Little Spooky. So I don't know if that's the same thing, but he was all over the neighborhood. And I don't think it was haunting. He was actually doing graffiti. But the point is this. <laughs> ghosts, ghosts are part of our culture. It, it, was a, it was a nightmare for the neighborhood. Yeah, it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare for the neighborhood. Little spooky, they would call him. And there was big spooky, too, which was really weird. And they were just tagging everything. But the ghost world... <laughs> The ghost world. I mean, look what you did. You took it from your culture. You know, we got the ghosts. I mean, who hasn't heard La Llorona stories? Or and plus, yeah. and we're yeah. super. And we, I hate to say it, uh, Latinos in the whole, we're constantly looking for signs. It's like constantly. Constantly. I mean, I mean it's like there's. We're, we're very superstitious in a lot of ways. Oh my! And, my, and, you're right. We're totally superstitious. So tell me now, did a ghost ever appear to you in this whole story? In your, in your 13 episodes, you know, I find a lot of anomalies in the in post where I was, I because my my goal was never to fake anything, and yeah. there were some re- weird baby sounds or like a little child sounds on, on on a couple of tracks, and I I told the editor, I'm like, can you add something? And they're like, no, we actually dropped all the other levels, all the other tracks, and just kept the room uh, track on, and it was coming from inside the room, so it was caught on the on the mics and. I, I literally was just like, holy crap. Oh. I'm like, what the hell was that? I'll, I'll tell you. So of course, we used it. And I'll, I'll tell you my ghost story that happened. My ghost story was I was an executive at a, a network, and they, that's where all the, you know, it was LATV networks, and they have a lot of energy and juice coming in. And and they talked about there were ghosts there, but I didn't hear the stories till afterwards. One night I'm working late and I literally see a chair go crash against the wall, come back, crash against the wall again, go back and run itself into the wall three times, three huh. times. And I'm with my assistant that's helping me write and he's freaking. You're, you're seeing something like, like an actual physical form? I, the, no, I saw the chair. Being like, the chair. like being pushed by uh, by a human, just like you know, 
like it was almost like an invisible person grabbed this chair, angrily threw it against the uh, wall, rushed it back, did it three times. It was three times. There was no mistaking. This was something not of this world. And he looks at me and goes, oh, my God, what do we do? And I go, nothing. We have to finish this damn script. I don't have time for this. <laughs> so I went back to writing. And, you know, I, I think he quit a few days later. But but then I told them, they were like, well, this, this security guard ghost comes here and different things like that. We think it's the energy of all the, the broadcasting. So they already knew this was happening. They knew it was happening. They just did not tell me. They did not tell me. And Hilarious. so I had no <laughs> background. And I... You know, I've had a few of those ghost stories, so I actually kind of, I, I believe there is something. There is something that spirit, call it, what it, you, call it whatever, you know. Um, I've had it where, you know, I, that, that you feel these things and you see it. So, I, you know, being Latino, of course, I get very superstitious, like, oh, my God, you know, it's that. But I'm also not scared of ghosts. I don't know why. It doesn't scare me. I just yeah. think it's just part of yeah, life. It doesn't scare me either. Yeah, I've never in 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 our 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 culture we have the Day of the Dead, which is a celebration yeah. of the you know they say the two times someone dies truly is the second times when you forget their name, you don't ever speak yep. about them again. So we have this in our culture. So you know you took your culture, you turned it into thirteen episodes, and that's the beauty yep. of, of what a creative producer does. That's yeah. the great thing. Well, listen, Iman, I know I'm going to see a lot more things going on. Uh, I cannot wait to see your next project. And just thank you for coming on the Heron America and sharing with us today. Thank you. Oh, that was great. Thank you, sir. And let's keep working together, man. I love I love the way you think and the way you write and how you capture the nuances of life, which sometimes I need to point out at me. So, Well, definitely. Great. We're working together. Thanks, brother. All right, man. Be good. Okay. Bye. You're listening to the Nahara in America podcast. That's our show. Join us next week on Nahara in America on Revolver Podcast or wherever you find your finer podcasts.